Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bussell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but just as two filmmakers trying to f- figure it out for ourselves. So this week we have uh, another guest, a local San Francisco Bay Area producer, Winnie Wong, on the show. Welcome, Winnie. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, and a little background. So I've known Winnie for a few years now. I don't exactly know how many. It's, I think it's a lot <laughs> I, now. I want to say 2013 is probably when we met, like yeah. first met. Yeah, right when uh, I, I left was just saying Studio how B. much like, oh, we all work and I know each other so well. And then like, you guys have known each other for a long time. But I guess Auric <laughs> and I talk all the time. Yeah, I, yeah. I and, think the amount of time I've podcast. spent with Timothy is like you know way more than <laughs> than like most people that I've known for like five to seven years. Yeah. yeah, we've squeezed in many years of friendship into just the the few years that we've known each other. Yeah. Well, when when I first met Ulrich um, in 2013, it was pretty briefly because it was when you were, I believe, leaving Studio B, and I was right. just starting as a permalancer. So it was just kind of like an, in passing we had met and then kind of kept in touch just through mutual friends and working in the film industry and all that. So Right, yeah. yeah. Did you actually work at Studio B while I worked at Studio B or was no, it like No, it was like yeah. you had already left and Dan Williams was a uh, rentals manager. Right. Yeah. Good old Dan. I love that Good Dan. old Dan. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because I I just remember you as a, just as a Studio B person, and I I mean, I, I think I was probably doing work for them at, to some uh-huh. capacity, like maybe shooting or, or coming yeah, through yeah. and renting stuff. And so that's probably yep. how I met you, and then that's how I met Lisa, and then like I mm-hmm. kind of got involved with helping Lisa out with with her first short film a little bit, yeah. um, and got to know Lisa, and then was like, oh my gosh, Lisa's awesome, and then yeah. I think, that's probably how I got to know you more too, is just from Yeah. Yeah, that that connection. Good um, people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I wanna get into all the things um that we're gonna talk about today. But first, can you just get everybody like a little quick one minute bio on who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm a freelance producer and I've been living in the Bay Area for I wanna say eleven years now, which is crazy to say. I recently came back into freelancing. I'd been producing at Pandora for the last three years um, as a senior video producer and started there as an associate producer, moved up to producing and then to senior producing, managing a team of uh, shooters, editors, photographer, um, working closely with them to produce original and sponsored content for Pandora. So when I'm not working, (laughs) I am usually on a road trip or I'm at a film festival or I'm trying to swim and perfect my freestyle in the pool or I'm, you know, collecting books that I never have the time to read. So that's kind of how I spend my time when I'm not working. That's awesome. That's probably like one of the most concise, like little bios that anyone's ever done on the show. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) That's because she practiced. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How late did you stay up last night practicing? Uh, I wasn't, I didn't really practice, but I did. I was like thinking about these questions and just like trying to uh, be really specific about like what I do and what I want moving forward. I think that's like my intention these days. Nice. Yeah. You said before we started recording that it makes you rethink your life. Oh, in yeah. What, in what way? Um, when you get, when you know that you're going to be interviewed about what you do or how you spend your time, I think it just makes you, it makes you kind of have to formulate and articulate exactly what you do 
So when I looked at these questions that you guys sent me, I was just like, okay, you kind of have to like create this timeline in your head of like what what you've been doing and um, what direction you're going in or what path you're on. So like it's kind of this like mini existential crisis that I have <laughs> where I'm just like, okay, like I, you know, if, if I'm talking to an audience who doesn't, who doesn't necessarily know me, um, how would I describe, you know, myself and what I do? So I think- And where are you headed? Yeah, I mean, I, I've i literally been freelancing um, and out of the full-time gig for just three weeks. Oh, wow. So welcome pretty... to the freelance world. I don't know why I'm saying welcome. I'm not a freelancer. <laughs> yeah, why are you welcome Ulrich, here? I gotta yeah, welcome Ulrich, her. you welcome yeah. her to the freelance world. <laughs> I already did welcome her to the freelance uh, world. But We've um, had coffee like the other day and it was exactly. just, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, yeah. let, me, let me say this. You're crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> I, uh, well, it's just funny because it's like, you know, I the full-time gig was was really, you know, towards the end of the three years, it was really comfortable. And, you know, you have your support system, you have, hopefully you have a strong team around you. And, you know, hopefully you are able to grow in the role that you're in. And I definitely had all of that at Pandora. And I was really fortunate to work with some of my best friends, you know, people who became my fr- best friends over the last three years. And everyone just was killing it at their job and just so dedicated and so, you know, passionate about what we're doing. Um, but I think towards the end of the three years, I realized that, you know, I I came into this industry wanting to work in film and Pandora would never give me that. Film you know, meaning features um, or narratives? Features, or- narratives, documentaries, whatever that may be. Um, I just... I came to the realization that like, okay, if I want to move forward and work in film, I need to take that leap and I need to make a change for myself. And Hmm. I decided to leave this, you know, really cushy job where, you know, I'm surrounded by good people and, you know, it's, there's safety and security there. But um, in terms of growth, I needed to kind of stretch and, and give myself a new challenge. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much you know about me, but I've been working at Goodby Silverstein and Partners for... Uh, 14 years now coming up on 14 and that is incredible about three three weeks and I've thought about leaving a lot yeah um I've obviously never done it because it is like all the things that you just said about Pandora is like what I feel about that place and Mm -hmm. it, it affords me so many opportunities and um I guess the one one thing I would say about like my position is that I I am making stuff on the side so I never it's like it's gives me enough of an outlet that I feel like I, I didn't get frustrated enough to just like say, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm going to go do it. Yeah. yeah. That 14 years is such a long time. It's a, <laughs> yeah. I, if you would have told me when I walked through the doors of that place that I'd be there for 14 years, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way. <laughs> I, I remember actually, even after a few years, somebody's like, you're a lifer, aren't you? It's like, no <laughs> way, man. I'm going to go, I'm going to go that's make funny. movies. Wow. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, my main question is though, uh, when you like during your three years of being at Pandora, did you ever do any uh, side projects or any um, freelance things on the side that you were working on? Yeah, you know, it's that's a really good question, and I feel like because the full time gig producing for Pandora was was pretty um, involved. Like I, so we would shoot in different cities like New York, LA, Chicago, Nashville, Austin, San Diego, 
um, and, and, you know, sometimes here, I was con- like pretty consistently um, communicating and corresponding with people in different time zones. So even though I was full-time like nine to five, I was kind of on call and, and sometimes I feel like that's a little bit self-induced because I was really into my job and I wanted to make sure that my freelancers in other cities had access to me when they needed me. Like basically if they had questions about a shoot coming up or if they wanted to talk about, you know, the shoot, I, I would make myself available. And yeah, you didn't I, send it, set any boundaries. Yeah, I, you know, I had a really hard time setting those boundaries. And, you know, when you enjoy what you do, it doesn't feel so bad doing yeah, that. Yeah, right. Um, and you kind of forget that you're like, oh, I, I worked, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. Like that didn't feel that terrible when you actually like the people that you work with and you enjoy what you do. But I think over time, I realized that I wasn't making time for those outside projects, you know? And so I, I definitely feel like I'd fallen out of the loop with like my freelance community, like here, especially. Um, so there were, you know, there were times when somebody needed a producer and was like, oh, are you interested in hopping onto this? And a lot of those times I was like, well, you need me on weekdays or you need me during business hours. And I'm like, so involved in my full-time gig, I, I just couldn't set aside that time. Mm. So unless so it was like a weekend thing, you know, it, it just, I, I really wasn't taking on a ton of outside projects. Were you a freelancer before you worked at Pandora? I was. Okay. Yeah. So you're going back to the world of freelancing. Yes. See, it's I've like never done freelancing ever really? in my life. Like as soon as I graduated college, I like jumped yeah. right into a full-time job. Like wow. I'm, I'm just like a full-time commitment type person. <laughs> I got married when I was young. I jumped yeah. into full-time jobs when I was young. Like Alric and I just told our stories a few weeks ago um, about how we got our start. And yeah, my start was full-time work and his start was freelance work. So like we have very different experiences and do are doing it in very different ways. So do you think that, um, do you think that, yeah. um, you know, it's it's kind of a lifestyle, right? Full time versus definitely, free, like, yeah, freelance. lifestyle thing. And it's like a, there's a, a sense of comfort with knowing when your next paycheck is coming and how much it's going to be, and like I can budget very. I'm I'm very much about like budgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just there's a security and comfort in the full time job that I just don't know if I've cut out for the freelance world. But at the same time, I've never done it, so. I'm curious to hear from you, like now that you've, you've done both sides of it, what's, what are the pluses and minuses of full-time versus freelance? Yeah. I mean, pluses, I would say uh, the pros to being freelance, I think would be, you know, being to an extent, like being able to choose what you work on and who you work with and how frequently you work um, and, you know, deciding when you want to take some time off between a gig between gigs. Um, I think those are definitely pros being able to like set your own schedule and just be a little bit more selective about the, the work that you choose. Um, again, to an extent, <laughs> right. um, and then, you only have the choice available of what's out there right at that moment. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, something really specific that comes to mind is right before I started at Pandora, I was freelancing and I took a swim class for a couple of months because I'd never, I was like 30 and I, and I literally had never been able to like comfortably freestyle like in a pool. And so I took a swim class at Mills College because I lived not too far from there. 
and it was about two to three times a week at like, you know, 11.30 a.m. So I would take that class, you know, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I, I don't know that I would have been able to do that, to like take that swim class, really learn how to swim. Like, I don't know if I would have been able to do that if I had already started working nine to five, you know, when you have meetings, like meetings upon meetings, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which is what kind of happens. Oh, I know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of unavoidable and you, uh, you almost feel guilty stepping away, you know, even if it's like you take a lunch break and you go to the pool at the Y um, downtown. Yeah. You know what I started doing to get around that is I just started scheduling stuff for myself. Yeah. I'm like, I'm scheduling lunch today and I'm totally. like I'm, a, I'm on a two-hour lunch <laughs> so the last year I mean the last year I probably I I was doing that a lot more where I would block out that time on my calendar so that nobody could schedule me for a lunch meeting yeah exactly you know what I mean because it's like because it'll happen it'll happen it'll happen everybody's busy everybody's trying to work around so many people's schedules like you just have to set those boundaries um, another, so here's another question I have for you, Winnie. Mm-hmm. Before you started at Pandora, when you were freelancing, what were you freelancing as? Were you already just freelance producing at that time or were you, were you doing other kinds no, of jobs? I was production coordinating. I was associate producing. I was interning. I was coordinating for about, I want to say 11 months at Studio B. And then when I left Studio B, I had, I'd been permalancing there for, for 11 months. When I left there, I started, you know, I was actually shooting um, and camera operating for a couple of like indie projects. So there was a, um, he was formerly a photographer, but he was starting to go into video and he was shooting for like Bloomberg and like different news outlets. And he would bring me on as like a cam op, like a second camera. And I would take on gigs like that um, for, you know, half a year to a year, I guess between those gigs, I actually ended up meeting the guys over at One Day on Earth. Um, That's a nonprofit based in LA. And One Day on Earth had made this movie called One Day on Earth, which you can, um, I don't know if you can watch it on Netflix now, but it was- Is that the Ridley Scott project? No, it was really close to that. (laughs) So people confuse those two all the time. Because didn't he do a project called One Day on Earth? Um, It was, you know, I want to say- it had a different title, but it was like the same concept. So it was um, global filmmakers who shot over the course of one day and then contributed their footage to this nonprofit. And the nonprofit had brought on editors to cut it into this full length, uh, feature length documentary. And so when they had worked on that project, they found that they were finding a pattern in urban areas in metropolitan cities and they wanted to create a three hour long uh, documentary series for PBS um, about American cities and the direction that they were going in. So I met up with them at Rogue Brewery in North Beach in San Francisco one day. And I wanna say a month later, I was on a road trip in Colorado and they called me and said, hey, we're looking for a local San Francisco producer to produce that segment for the the series. Um, do you know anybody or do you have anybody in mind that would be interested? And I was like, me. So I interviewed with them and um, met with them and I, I got the job. So I did that for, gosh, five to six months, um, producing the San Francisco segment and working with over 200 filmmakers in the city and in Oakland um, 
to, to shoot and contribute footage for that project. So that was right before Pandora. And at that time, I really wasn't looking for a full-time gig at all, but I really kind of missed having that support system and working closely with a team. So when my friend Faye, who was the producer at Pandora at that time, called me, I think it was like July or August of 2014, she said, you know, I know you're not looking for full time, but why don't you come and contract with us and see what you think and see how you like it. And then, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. So I ended up going to Pandora and contracting for like a month and a half. And I was getting calls for other gigs. And I told Pandora, I was like, you know, I kind of need to know where this is going because I need to let clients know whether I can take the next gig or not. And so they offered me a full-time job <laughs> after that month and a half of contracting with them. And yeah, from there, I just, I fell in love with my team. I fell in love with the job. I really, really enjoyed the work that we were doing with the artists that we were doing. We were producing like micro docs and artist profiles and behind, behind the scene stuff and like day in the life, you know, content and traveling, you know, one to two times a month for the first two years um, and just really, really bonding with my team and like being in the trenches with them. So when you first got that job offer, was it hard to say yes to it? Or were you like, yeah, I'm in? No, I was I was torn. I, I definitely wasn't sure that I wanted to do the full time thing. And, you know, I really enjoyed the lifestyle that I had as a freelancer and, and that freedom and with the schedule. Um, but it was kind of an opportunity that I couldn't say no to because it's, it's a lucrative job. You know, even when I was there, like last year I was interviewing applicants to, to bring them on board to produce. And there were 350 applicants who applied for this one job. And it was like my job before I got promoted. And it was <laughs> right. like, it was just kind like, of a reminder okay. right. of like, wow, there aren't a lot of full-time opportunities like this. And, you know, one that pays well, one that, you know, where you're working with really good people, a company that cares about you, and you have some pretty rad perks to the job. So, yeah, it, for me, it would yeah. be that the, the decision or like the hard part of it would be knowing I'd had to only work on Pandora for yeah. however long it was going to be. Because mm-hmm. like, at least at my job, I'm, there's different clients at my agency. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm constantly you know, moving from client to client and getting different experiences. But when I think about somebody who works like Apple mm-hmm. or Facebook or Intel, mm-hmm. I'm just like, all they're doing is communicating about one product or, yeah. one, or one company. It's like, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, I, I think like, I, yeah, I think that you make a really good point there. Like um, in advertising, you are able to kind of become a subject expert on, you know, various things over the course of time. And it's, it's always interesting to be able to do that. And that, that is something that you do get in freelancing as opposed to working full time in, in one company, working with one type of content or product. But at least with Pandora, it was different artists every time. And um, when we were doing sponsored content, you know, we were working with different advertisers. So I worked with brands like Sonos and Kingsford and Honda and Ford and, it, you know, all of these programs um, for all of these custom stations, what we call them, they were all very different. So it, yeah, that it, makes it sense. did, yeah, it did afford some variety, but at the end of the day, it's all music content too. 
Yeah. So it, it what did start to feel like it was like one thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like just to go back to that, making that decision, any time in my life where I've had a decision to make about switching what I'm doing, it's been so hard to say Mm yes. I think there's like a fear of change. And even if like just moving apartments in San Francisco, like making that move was hard. Or um, (laughs) I was in facilities for a long time at at Goodby. Mm -hmm. um, And then I got offered to go to the production department. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to go into the (laughs) production department. I don't want to lose my time. And (laughs) I I tend to see the losses. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like, how, how did you make that jump then? Like... Did you vocalize that you wanted that or did somebody kind of recognize that that was going to be a good fit for you? Uh, A little bit of both. So when I started at the agency, I knew nothing about advertising and I actually didn't even really want to be in film. I was writing at the time. So I was doing a lot of short stories. And then um, it took me maybe about a year and I started getting excited about film because I was meeting some other people there that also wanted to do films. And so I was like uh, producing a short film on the side. I was shooting um, videos like Christmas videos for the agency that they would play um, during our Christmas party. I was like um, organizing a poker night. I think I had started like a film festival so I was like doing all these like little outside work things. <laughs> Extracurricular. Extracurricular activities. So <laughs> I, like I had kind of like, um, you know, a presence in the agency. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I started telling people like I want to direct. I think at one point I made a bunch of DVD reels and I left them on all the producers' chairs. <laughs> There's like maybe Amazing. 30 people, 30 producers. And I was like, I want to direct. If you have any commercials, let me know. Man, <laughs> now that I'm a producer, I was like, that's so naive of me. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was pretty vocal about like what I wanted to do. And, and because I had a presence of like actually doing stuff, I think the producing department took notice is like okay this guy's like is organizing things and he's like mm-hmm. making his own films and then the the catalyst really was I made a Christmas video one year and the next morning I got a call from one of the owners of the company like mm-hmm. come up to my office I want to meet you and Oof. he's like you met that you made that video like that <laughs> video was awesome and then like he called in his other partner hey hey Jeff meet this guy meet this guy this is the guy that made that video and they're like oh man that was so good that was so good you should be directing commercials <laughs> oh I was like gosh. yeah yeah I'm in I was like this oh is it gosh. this is where my career starts this is like 10 years ago wow. this is where my career starts this is gonna be awesome <laughs> and um so behind the scenes they were talking to some of the department heads and um, I had two job offers coming out of like a few weeks later. One yeah. of them was to be a junior copywriter mm-hmm. and the other was to go into the production department. And yeah. so I had like these two paths and I sat down with like the, the uh, heads of those departments and said, well, I want to be a director. Mm-hmm. Like which one of these is going to get me closer to being a director? <laughs> and the, the, um, the copywriting job, like she said, 
well, I'm just going to have you write a bunch of banner ads for a while. You're going to hate it. So you should probably go to production. And wow, she's so honest. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the production department, she's like, well, you know, we don't have any full-time, you know, director positions here. But, you know, if you come into this department, like maybe we can get you shooting some videos and stuff. So it's like, all right, well, that sounds closer to what I want to do. And so mm-hmm. I made that leap. Wow, well, I love that story. Yeah, it was fun. It's so funny. But yeah, I totally thought like that was the beginning of my career or like that I was going to like all of a sudden be directing TV commercials within a year and like I still haven't done one yet. Well, but it was the beginning of your career in a lot of ways because it 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 got you where you are now and you did get to direct some stuff out of it. So, you know, but it it didn't happen as quickly as I thought it would. Right. Because I thought when Jeff Goodby says to me, you should be directing commercials, that that means like I will be directing commercials that year. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. It's easy to to, to think that it'll be a quick thing because you know but yeah I think it it, I don't know at least from my experience like a lot of times when people say things like that uh, (laughs) yeah that that's not really what's gonna happen (laughs) so there's like so many years I was just frustrated it's like oh man like why is this not happening why am I not (laughs) getting told me that yeah I I, I was told I should be directing commercials and I'm not getting these opportunities (laughs) meanwhile I was directing stuff I was directing like these tiny little videos Mm -hmm. it was just right when People were, uh, were when clients were thinking about buying into the internet, but mm-hmm. they hadn't gotten there yet. So there was no money for web videos, yeah. but the agency wanted to get into it. So we just started like shooting our own stuff. And so like I was one of the only people in the agency that could shoot stuff. Like I was the producer, the shooter, the editor, the director, and, so, and sometimes a writer. And so they're just like, hey, he can do it all for free. We'll just give him a camera and in final cut and then he can just make videos for us and then they use that to like sell the client on some very early web stuff um until they started paying us and then once they started paying us to produce content then they didn't need me anymore (laughs) i think there's there's like there was a sweet spot with a lot of these companies where they didn't know what to look for in in production and building mm-hmm. out like a production team. So for somebody who is willing to learn and and to kind of um you know stretch their skills, I think that that was like a really sweet spot for people to get into these companies because you know, you don't really have the precedence to compare yourself, you know, or oh, you, yeah. don't, you don't really have the bar to like, you know, meet. So you're kind of setting that bar for them. If and I would have joined let's see if I would have graduated college even just maybe like three years later I probably would not have been able to get that job yeah because the people that are now doing what I did like getting into the agency and doing those kind of that kind of work Mm -hmm. their reels look so much better than mine did coming out of school Mm -hmm. and I just got lucky you know lucky that I was in a position where I was vocal and I kind of uh, was doing all those extracurricular activities and made it, you know, people trusted me beyond what my reel showed. But if I mm-hmm. just had to get in the door with just based on the merits of my reel, I, it would have never happened if there's other competition. But I was yeah. kind of, you know, I was, I was alone in it. There's not, not a lot of people doing what I was doing. Well, now you look at these job descriptions for a producer and sometimes you see that one of the requirements is like being able to edit and being yeah. able to work in motion graphics and you know it's kind of like okay like cinema 4D or you know what i mean like it's those skills are are now just like the bare minimum requirements <laughs> right. you know it's not really like the traditional sense of producing 
Yeah. Yeah, so true. And people want a lot of experience for jobs too. It's like, you know, five plus years, 10 plus years sometimes for certain jobs. And it's like, oh, yeah, I hated that Mm -hmm. when I was searching for a job. You're like, Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to get that experience if I can't even get my foot in the door? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Somebody's got to give you that chance. But you got your foot in the door, and that was how you were able to get that position. So I feel like getting in the door is the hardest part, you know? Um, Yeah. Not saying that people should get jobs, any job they can in, in a company just to, you know, get in the door to you know move up but i mean i don't know work work, worked pretty well for you (laughs) with the right company yeah i mean (laughs) i just i i didn't do it knowingly so i always my advice for people and curious to hear what you think winnie about this is like just put yourself in a place that you admire what they're doing and then once you're there like just look for the best opportunity that you can like Mm -hmm. it's really hard to i think plan these things out I don't think if I planned this out, I could have ever made it happen. It just it just kind of happened because yeah. I, I just found an opening and went that way. And you kind of have to be ready too, like in to an extent, because I feel like when you take on an opportunity that you're not really ready for, in some instances, you can be biting off more than you can chew and yeah. you can, you're not really setting yourself up to succeed. And so I think, you know, when you think about like a leadership position in a company, you know, not every manager makes a great leader. Not every leader makes a great manager. So a lot of people are put into the management position thinking they're going to be these leaders for team members. And, you know, they they don't succeed because they're not, they're, you know, maybe they're more of an individual contributor, you know, and they killed at what they were doing in their job. But when you put them in a position to, you know, track the success of, of other people and, and to motivate other people, you can't, you can't really expect them to do that, you know? Yeah. I would go one step further though. And just, and just say like, just because it might not be the right time doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Right. I, I feel like the lesson that I learned is that I was definitely put into positions throughout the last, you know, 14 years at could be mm-hmm. where I wasn't ready for it and I mm-hmm. failed and it kind of ended uh, a trajectory I was on, but then mm-hmm. I waited around long enough that it came back. <laughs> like, <laughs> persistence. It's, it's persistence. It's like yeah. I only started directing commercial stuff again 2 years ago, but mm. there was a big period where I wasn't allowed to direct stuff just by, because I had failed a few times and because yeah. of where my boss thought I, I belonged in the department. So, and, you know. and how did you, I mean, that's like, let's kind of go in there. Like, how well, did you? I love that this is yeah, becoming I, about I, me. I was like waiting <laughs> well, for my chance to bring it back to Winnie. And Winnie keeps on pushing forward into yeah. Timothy's thing. I She's know. like interviewing us now. That's interesting. Yeah. You want to sit guys. down over some coffee <laughs> and we'll go over this? <laughs> yeah. No, we, actually, we this can. is not a lot. We haven't gone no, too much into detail about this on the show. Lot, so yeah. it's probably yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just think I'm like I'm a curious person and I I love hearing other people's stories too and then kind of exchanging. But like that's the thing is I think, you know, for the longest time I thought I was commitment phobic like in so many ways. Um, you know, re- with relationships, with jobs, I was just like, oh, I don't want to be like held down too long somewhere. And when you like for you, you just said that, you know, there were a couple times that you might have you know, not succeeded as a director and there was like a, a, a amount of time that you weren't directing and then you came back to it. So knowing that you're in a company and you're kind of in it for the long haul 
And well, I didn't know I was in it for the long haul. It, every year um, I have a existential crisis and wonder whether or not I should be doing <laughs> what I'm doing. But then I yeah. convince myself, yeah, I'm in the right place. Yeah, yeah. But like, <laughs> you know, I think I think it's rare for companies to give you that space to fail and then give you that space to get back up and try again um, without like repercussions, you know? So I feel like that's really interesting to me that you felt that you were able to do that. Well, I I made it happen in some ways because it's not like they gave me another opportunity. I had to make an opportunity for myself. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to direct for a while. And part of it was just a waiting game for it to weed out the people that had the experience with me that I failed at. Yeah. So that I could refresh it and people that the new people that came in didn't know me enough. (laughs) And then while, while I was waiting for that, I was also doing stuff on the side. Like the, the big reason I make a lot of my short films is to prove I can do something that I'm not getting the opportunity to do professionally. So like working in CG or like combining visual effects and live action and, Mm -hmm. you know, like telling stories that I want to tell. So that way I have now a body of work that what happened two years ago is, is I had a bunch of short films that then I started showing people that was way above and beyond the stuff that I was trusted to direct when I first started um, mm-hmm. directing at the agency and yeah. I got bigger opportunities because of that that's really cool um, well it's really interesting because you know when I was hearing Winnie talk about you, you know your story about you know feeling like you're overworked at your job and like you know like there's no time for the freelance stuff because like I had the same exact mm-hmm. experience when I was doing my full-time job I got into there and I was like yeah like, this is great. Like, I'm at a production company. There's all this equipment around me. Like, I'll be able to, like, do my nine-to-five mm-hmm. job, and then I can make anything I want on the weekends. I can shoot on nights. I'll take days off. Right. Wishful you know, thinking. the whole thing. Yeah. And then, um, you know, suddenly it's like I'm working every weekend. I'm working, you know, yep. to, like, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, every, like, all the time, you know. And then it was just, like, after two years... It was like it's just not happening. I've shot two things in two years, and they're but they weren't even movies. <laughs> yeah. They were just like music videos, basically. And it's like it's so easy to feel like, okay, well, what am I like? Where is the free time in my life? Where is the balance? Like, if you're constantly either working or side hustling, like then you really aren't setting aside any time to do anything right. else. And that can really burn you out, especially if you're working in a field that you, you know, you say is like the field that you love, like that becomes, you know, a job that becomes like a burnout if you're spending too too much time yeah. on it. It's pretty amazing that Timothy so. was able to do that, though, that like he's been at, you know, Goodby for 14 years and he's made like four short films and, you know, especially the Spirit Machine, which is like this like 10 day shoot and. You know, he spent yeah. four years on that project and I was able to do it all while having a full time job like that because that was why I quit my job was to make my movie, you know, and yeah. I, I shot right. it. Right. A strange yeah. thing was the reason. you uh, left? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, my whole my whole That's exit funny. strategy was like, before I leave, I have to make this short film because I still have access to <laughs> the use exactly. All this gear. <laughs> and I should have just had more foresight to be like, oh, of course, David would let me, you know, take the gear out after I left, you know, if like I wanted to schedule it then and then like shoot it once I didn't have my full-time job or whatever. But like for some reason in my head, I had this whole thing where it had to happen at that time. (laughs) If it didn't have that happen at that time, it wouldn't happen. So I just had to do it. So it was like this crazy like mission to like make that movie. And then like, 
you know, leave the company and then like go out into the world and like, you know, find my fortune as a filmmaker, you know? Yeah. So when you left your full-time job to go do this, was it, is it kind of like Winnie's story where you're like, this is going to be my clean break from the full-time world and I'm going to go out and I'm going to enter the film business. Yeah, exactly. But then what happened for me was my first year as a freelancer, I was like busier than I was, um, (laughs) as, as a, a full-timer or just as busy. And like, I worked, I worked so much that first year and it was just like due to circumstance and timing and the jobs that I got offered. And it wasn't until the year after that when Strange Thing was actually done. That was the year that I actually started really writing and really having time for my filmmaking, you know. But I I also thought it was going to be, like, super fast. I thought I was going to finish Strange Thing in, like, May, and then I was going to, like, like, submit it to film festivals (laughs) over the summer, and then I would get into Sundance in the fall, and then... You know, course, um, yeah. my career, I would be like meeting with <laughs> and the agents. Then you'd be working with JJ. Exactly. Then I'd have my yeah. agent, my manager. <laughs> Naturally. You know, within, you know, yeah, 12 to 18 months from that time. But then, you know, obviously, <laughs> nothing works out the way that you think. It, it took like a year to finish the movie, and then it was like a whole year of film yeah. festivals um, after that. So, like, the movie right. wasn't even like online until like two years after I made it, you know? So, it just, everything took so yeah. long. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm trying to get my question. I think it's a mistake to oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to just say I think it's a mistake to think that you're going to go freelance and you're going to have less work to do. You're, it yeah. seems like you're going to work harder as a freelancer. Like I, I just think yeah. back to the Tostitos job we just did and how much harder you and I both worked probably <laughs> on that job than I I normally do on almost anything. Like I was working so hard. <laughs> and I think maybe Ulrich, that first year of freelancing, it just makes me laugh right now because I think it's like the sheer terror of like knowing that you need to line line up work, and um, and probably does, also making a good impression so people want to totally. hire you back. It's like you're hustling so hard just to make sure that you're constant, you know, consistently working. Like I feel like right now. I'm like, it's hard for me to turn work down because I'm like, I'm like hoarding acorns for the winter where I'm just like, I know it might, you know, it's going to slow down in January and I I need to like make sure that I'm set up so that I'm not like stressed out in the winter that, you know, when it slows down. So it's just, it's just funny. Like you go through cycles of like binging on work and then, you know, it's feast or famine. Exactly. And then eventually, hopefully you get to the point where, you know, you you just know the next job is going to come. So like you don't have to stress so much and you can use that free time that you have to like work on your personal projects or whatever. But it's it's like a constant struggle to do that. It's really, really challenging. Um, But like what my, my question was like, so, you know, I had my big crusade that I was on when I left my job. But like when you left Pandora, did you have like a certain project you were trying to make or did you just... Was it just like, I have to do it now? Like, like what made you leave yeah. Pandora? You know, was it just, was there something like a catalyst yeah. of some kind? I mean, uh, I think all of this last year was kind of a catalyst in the stuff that I was watching. So after seeing a movie like Moonlight and after binging on the entire first season of Atlanta, I was just like, um, why am I not working on stuff like that? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there Those are, are these great movies. Yeah, those are they're amazing projects that actually have an impact on like greater society. And I was feeling like I wasn't I wasn't moving forward 
and having, you know, making work that was impactful like that. And so but there's every- no money in that work. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's it's well, that's the thing is like, that's why you take on the gigs that will pay the bills, but make time for the projects that make you feel good about being on them. So I think it's finding the balance between those two. And if that's important to you. Um, but it was definitely watching a lot of film and series on like Netflix and Amazon. Like one of my favorite shows is Transparent, um, Jill Soloway's show on Amazon. And yeah, you watch those shows and you're just like, I could be working on that. Like I, I have the ambition, I have the skills, I could be working on those shows. Um, and I, I don't see myself being able to do that if I stayed at a place like Pandora, you know? So I just knew that I, I needed to change something. And, you know, this is kind of the the road so to that. what kind of steps are you taking to, to work on shows and jobs like that? Like, you know, what's your game plan? Yeah. It's only been three <laughs> weeks, guys. You still have to have a plan, though. You're not just going <laughs> to... Totally. You're not going to happen upon that, right? I mean, that's a very, that's yeah, a very clear job. Like I mean, the reason why I say that is because I had a friend who um, is a freelance producer in the Bay Area, and um, you know, he was doing this freelance thing for you know 20 years, and he's like one of the, the most well-known mm-hmm. or best... Uh, freelance you know production managers or or you know line producers in the bay area basically and uh a year or two ago he was like i have to get out of here so he just moved to new york because he wanted to work on like the marvel netflix shows that was like a very clear goal for him yeah and he he went out and he like tried to make that happen and you know didn't have so much luck like getting into that company but i mean i feel like it it really needs to be like you know if you're gonna work on a big show like atlanta or you know, for me, it'd be Stranger mm-hmm. Things or, or something like that. Like, you, yep. I, I think it takes more than just like, you know, like I th- you'd have to like Wanting move that. to wherever those shows are being made and like, yeah, make it happen. And, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not I'm not like like I've been in the Bay Area for 11 years and I'm not married to the idea of like staying. What? You know, and I, like, that's, that's well, no, that's that's the hard part, though, because I do. I mean, I do love it here. I do love that you're not surrounded by industry folks and you're not surrounded by people who are you know trying to drop names and like make those connections like you know i've been in la enough where i've been in that scene and that can be really exhausting like mentally spiritually physically um and you know i there's a lot of people that I know who are bouncing between cities and just using one of the cities as like a home base. So like, I wouldn't mind using the, you know, continuing to live here, but working in cities like LA, New York, Atlanta, wherever the show or the movie takes me. So well, what if the show came here? Like how, how does a show oh, like looking, would be, like when yeah. looking shot in San Francisco, yeah. did they hire local people or does just everyone come up from LA? I think it's a mix. So with like a lot of the Netflix shows, a lot of the um, HBO stuff that's been shot here, I've heard that it's a pretty good mix, like kind of 50-50, like a lot of people coming from LA, but a lot of people local too. So unless you have the budget to travel all of your crew, which is so rare, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a good mix of, of keeping it local and then also bringing on your keys from 
you know, the cities where the production's from. Yeah, you should do so, what Ulrich did. Like when he saw Trauma was shooting in the Bay Area, he just went over to that set. And I I made listened it to that episode and I thought that was really great. I mean, you have to be super proactive and put yourself out there um, to get. You right, would that work to be a for. PA? I don't know and if it's going to work to be like get a producing job or a, a production <laughs> hey, coordinator. Everybody's got to start know? somewhere. <laughs> hey, yeah, you get your foot in the door. Exactly. So I, you know, with the shows that I, I, I enjoy and I admire and I want to work on, like I am going to be taking some time to set up some meetings, have those conversations and see where I can put my feelers out. So that's all in the works. I'm not like trying to rush it right now. I think I'm still kind of processing the fact that I left my gig and um, I'm just lining up some work to keep me busy and to keep me um, it, it's almost like reintroducing yourself, right, to the freelance community. It's like you got to remind people, hey, I, I just left my job and I'm now available. Like I, I haven't even sent out that email to my network to say that. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, yeah, I kind of I kind of went into it thinking I want to give myself some space to be super intentional about what I go after. And I didn't want to feel like I was rushing into anything or like, you know, trying to jump into gigs just to like make sure that I was right. As soon as you or, blast your community, yeah, then stuff might start pouring in, and then yeah, and stuff organically has already started coming in. Where I'm getting calls and I'm getting emails randomly out of the blue from people that I've either worked with or people that um, who saw you know a post on Facebook. Like I, I was working on this short film called Paper Birds, um, directed by Lauren Feinerman. A couple weeks ago and I was line producing for it so uh, last month right before we started shooting um, I posted on Facebook like you know hey you know contribute if you can to the seed and spark page um, I just left my job I am super excited to work on this paper birds film and I got a lot of people who just showed their support and wrote to me personally and just said I'm so happy for you I can't wait to see what you work on next know that you know i'm fully behind what you want to do so it's really good to get that kind of support from people who don't need to be reaching out right, like that. right. um yeah and it's just yeah it's really reassuring and i feel like okay maybe i haven't really fallen out of the loop like i've i've done my best to really stay in touch with people um and you know, I, I said earlier that we didn't shoot in the bay area very often but when we did you know i would bring on you know, Kiva Knight or Tej or, you know, Tyler McFerrin, just some really great local folks who are so good at what they do. And I would try to keep it as local nice. as possible. That's awesome. Well, so, nice that you're fighting the good yeah. fight, uh, yeah. you know, keeping, uh, you know, Bay Area shoots <laughs> with Bay Area crew because it's a constant struggle that's been going yeah. on for, you know, 30 years or more or forever. <laughs> oh, totally. And I have, you know, and people are always saying like, well, Bay Area rates are so high compared to LA, compared to New York. And yeah, they are, but look at the cost of living. Like there's a reason what, well, here's, it's not just cost of living. It's like the opportunities here, you know, we don't have a ton of TV shows. We don't have a ton of feature narrative work. Uh, when you compare the Bay Area to LA and New York, it's like for any freelancer or crew member who is setting their rates, they have to make sure that they're, they're not, um, screwing right. themselves over like they really have to set rates that are gonna 
make this career sustainable for them and um, allow them to live in a place that is right. so expensive. So I have respect for rates, and you know, if I if I can't negotiate my way, you know, down on a rate, it's like I'll I'll make it work, and I'll find ways to to make it work right. for everybody. Well, there's so, certain standards that yeah. the Bay Area crews have for their rates, you know, and I feel like. As a producer, it's our job to honor that as much as we can, you know, and totally. I mean, totally. I've heard some interesting things from different people about like, yeah, the rates are so high and, you know, you, everyone is on the same page. So it's really hard to get people to work for lower rates and oh gosh, it's so terrible. But I think that's really good that everyone like bands together and like, you know, we all do a good job of trying to make sure that yeah. we're not getting screwed, <laughs> you know, and that we don't have people working for like yeah, a half of I what mean, they should be or, or anything like that, which happens all the time, totally. you know, it, it does. And you know, there are instances where you're like, Oh, thank you. Like, thanks for working with me on this. Like, but I always make sure that, okay, on the next one, when I have the budget, I'm going to pay you more, you know, because it's like you kind of have to, it's give and take. And it's it's a relationship that you're fostering with people. So a, a big part of producing is nurturing those relationships that you have with your crew members because, you know, you kind of have to watch each other's back and, and be supportive. And it's it's just part of the job. Or else you're not really going to last. Very oh long yeah, totally. In but I, I also think that it's like there's, there's there's you know it's like a systemic problem, right? Like people coming with these really low budgets to to try to make um, a, a commercial or a video yeah. or a corporate video or whatever. Yep. And you know, like at some mm-hmm. point, I kind of feel like you, we just have to turn those jobs down because if everyone keeps on saying yes and making right. them happen in some way, uh, they're just going to keep on happening, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not saying that it's always the right thing yeah. to turn it down, yeah. you know? Um, Cause like depending on the job and depending on the opportunity, it might be the right thing to do. But like I turned down a job earlier this year, a producing job for like a commercial that would have been awesome. And like, I would have been super stoked to have on my reel, but like the budget was just like insultingly mm-hmm. low and it was like insultingly low for me. But then it was like also like even more yeah. insultingly low for the people I would have to hire. And it's just like, I don't really want to do that to my network of yeah. crew members. Like that just isn't right, you know? Yeah. It, well, it it starts to fall on you because as a producer, sure, you can explain why the budget's so low, you know, on behalf of the client. But for your crew members who you work closely with, you're their liaison, you're their point of contact. It's that, res- you know, that like association with low budgets is going to fall on you. And it's it sucks to have to be the one to like, you know, be the bearer of bad news of like, hey, I, I only have this much. And I know it's like your half day rate, but people don't even do half day rates for the most part anymore, because you're taking the time to be on a shoot for for a day, you're not able to take on other right. work that day. So it's like, it's only fair to, to, um, manage those expectations yeah and, i pretty much don't do half days anymore yeah it's just as a it's producer just, it's, you know it's, hard. it's not even really because it's not even really a half day because no matter what it is it's gonna be like if it's five hours right. you're gonna have travel time on that prop most likely yeah. um and then you know totally you have the whole day you gotta prep mm-hmm. it's just like it doesn't really exist mm-hmm. you know so like I've, I've been trying to like right yeah yeah i mean i i remember when i was first starting out um, you know, the half day thing would come up a lot. Well, it still does, you know, it, it would you know, be like, sometimes. Well, it, it still does, but I feel like people are, or clients are starting to understand more why people are not right. accepting a half day rate. 
Um, so it's just a little bit of education there. I think that is also a part of our responsibility as a producer is to educate, educate clients on that, on what the standards are. Um, so that, you know, a lot of the time they don't know, they're not the ones hiring crew. So they just need to, to learn a little bit yeah. more about what the standards it kinda are. It kind of gets tough us. sometimes because, like, yeah. you know, you have crews or, or, or clients who um, want to, you know, hire you for a two-hour shoot or something like that. And they're, like, you know, giving you, what, 250 or something. And they're, like, yeah, but that's, like, over $200 mm-hmm. an hour. But it's, like, but that's not really <laughs> yeah. how it works. And that's not, you know, <laughs> it's we, not can't that just, simple we can't just math. do hourly <laughs> as crew. It's just not the way that we, we can present ourselves yeah. as professionals, you know. And it, but it's really hard to make that argument with somebody right. who isn't in the industry sometimes, it you is. know. But I think it's it's yeah, interesting to hear because yeah. this is exactly how I feel too. It's like we need to. It's our responsibility to like, yeah, educate clients on what um on what the rates are yeah. and what the standards are and like and why that's important, you know. But it's good to see that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as a producer, it's it's such an interesting role, you know, the role of a producer because I feel like that title just uh, there's so many different types of producers out there, and there's so many different skill sets that correlate with each type of you know producing and it's just funny like how many responsibilities and things that people you know most people are not aware of the things that that we're we're kind of responsible for doing or we're responsible for communicating whether it's on the client side or the crew side or the vendor side or you know all of that like there it's it's not just like a one-size-fits-all but I think um, some people like have a hard time understanding that if they're not in the industry. Yeah. And they don't work in the um, so you said you were a line producer on that yeah. short film, Paper Birds. Um, mm-hmm. But my question is, and, and shout out to French Press Films, who I know those guys, Chris and, and Andrew and Roman, who's not there anymore. But yeah, great guys. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so my question is, so you said you were a line producer. Um, what, what is Mm -hmm. different? Like, why weren't you, why wasn't your title producer? Like what is different about your job as a line producer that keeps you from being a producer? Yeah. I mean, a line producer, I would say, gosh, most simply put, um, line producer tracks and manages the budget for all of the departments on a film or video project. So, um, they handle the majority of the human resources and the daily ops issues that come up, um, in pre-production and also during the shoot. So a line producer, you know, all of the department heads kind of have to report to the line producer to make sure that they are staying within budget, staying on track in pre-production. You know, their crews are set up um, for success on the, on the days of the shoot. Um, a lot of it has to do with the communication and the, the tracking of, of, how money is being spent and what resources are going towards what. Um, so uh, the reason why I was a line producer and not a producer is because um, the, the producer for the film was French Press Films. So with that, you know, they are basically handling a lot of the contractual agreements, whether that was with SAG or with the location um, or with some of the talent. Like I would handle some of the daily op stuff and making sure people were signing their agreements and making sure that people who needed information was getting it um, so that they could be prepared for the shoot. But in terms of producing for film, a lot of that has to do with financing a film. 
So I got brought on to Paper Birds, uh, I want to say about a week, or no, not a week, a month and a week or a month and two weeks prior to the shoot days. So it was June, I believe. Um, I was leaving for a trip to Europe. I was just going for a vacation for two weeks. And I was literally um, sitting at Oakland Airport and I was going to board for my flight and I get a call from Lauren. And she had been working with French Press Films as a freelance producer. And also she started directing a lot of their spots um, in the last year. So they've been working together on prepping Paper Birds. And they, when they found out that Roman was leaving, um, they needed a line producer to take on a lot of the work that Lauren ended up doing because Roman was leaving. So she needed to free up her time to think about directing and working with her DP and working with um, you know, the first AD to like set everything up. Um, so she called me and was like, you know, I've heard nothing but good things about your work. I wanted to see if you're interested in being a line producer on this film. You know, there's, it's low budget. It's, you know, a really ambitious story, ambitious shoot. Um, and you have, you know, this kind of limited amount of time to prep it, but would you be into it? And at the time, I was already considering leaving Pandora. So I was like, well, this would actually be the perfect project to jump into in my transition out of Pandora because I would have something lined up immediately after and it would be going in back into the film world. So I said yes. And then I went on the trip, came back and just immediately started uh, working in pre-production. And, you know, at the end of the day, every single day, it felt like, gosh, I could use another right, 20 hours. Right, right. Like we were so, <laughs> right. we were so, we were so short staffed in terms of our production department. Like everybody that I was working with was, had really limited availability because a lot of people were doing this pro bono and just like volunteering their time. So like my production coordinator, um, associate producers, like talent coordinators, everybody was just volunteering. So it was like an hour here, an hour there, check in here, check in there, but it, nobody was really on it like full-time, full-time, except for me. <laughs> and so it was a really huge challenge because it was a period piece and it's a story set inside of a circus. So there's a lot of construction, rigging, safety involved um, and trapeze, you know, trapeze arts. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was a huge challenge really ambitious, but it was kind of the perfect thing to jump into leaving Pandora. Cause it just, it was kind of like a wake up. This is what it, this is what being on a film set feels like again. Yeah. Sounds you know? cool. Yeah. I mean, even though you don't have people that were full on with you, it's nice to just have a little production team. Like yeah. I feel like on a lot of the projects that I've worked on, it's like there's one producer Right. That handles everything. Well, that's Which also, is where I feel like all these little titles come from. I see Ulrich's questions yeah. here about production supervisor, yeah. supervising producer, production manager, <laughs> what's a line producer? Well, if you were to look up any of these titles, a lot of them say like, oh, sometimes the UPM is line producer. Sometimes yeah, the line so producer confusing. is the, the production supervisor. It is confusing, especially for people who don't work in the industry right but um, isn't it just based on how many people are on the production team and as soon as there's more than like a few <laughs> they just have to get different titles because not it's everyone like can have the thing yeah <laughs> i think par i think partially that's true but i also think it depends on whether we're talking about tv film or video 
So even then you have your differentiations, right? But um, it's just funny to me because it's like I, I recently, so on Paper Birds, I met Rachel Barth. Have you ever worked with Rachel? No. No, she's she does um, production managing for and line producing for, for a lot of um, advertising spots. And okay, cool. She and I were like, how have we never met? And I'm like, it's probably because I don't feel like I know a ton of producers in the Bay Area because we're typically like looking for the same jobs or right. we're typically competition. like we're like competition but we're we're <laughs> not you know but we are because it's like most gigs or most um projects only have the budget or only require one producer and that producer right. kind of wears all the different production hats so it's just interesting because i like also i i met scott wickman earlier this year because i brought him on to freelance for for pandora when i was away for um like out of the country and I was like oh I've never met you and we do the same thing but you do it freelance and I'm doing it full-time but it's just funny that we've never come across each other because we would we would be on the same you know we would be in the same role on the same gigs that's why we've never been on set together you know so it's just it's really funny to me like I'm really trying to meet more producers because it's such a it can be such a personality-based job and there are so many different ways of doing it. Like there's not really a right or wrong way. There's good and bad, but not really a right or wrong. So I feel like I, the more producers that I meet that I can kind of exchange information with or exchange resources with and kind of like knowledge share, you know, the better I can be at my job because it's yeah, like, there's so many ways completely. to do it. Yeah. We say um, there's many ways to skin a cat. And <laughs> the, the, the other day I wrote that in an email and somebody's like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that to that person. They're like an animal lover. And then it got me thinking about like, yeah, what does that mean anyways? Why mm-hmm. do we say there's many ways to skin a cat? Like who oh. is skinning cats? And I'm just like, yeah. yeah, you know, you could skin them like from the belly up or from the back down or you start with the tail first. Oh, wow, that's and they're so like, visual. let's use that. Let's use that as a, an, an analogy. Yeah. Let's bring it back. I don't know. What, what's yeah. the better one? Is it many ways to peel oh, a tofu? Man. Like, I don't know. Like, what do you guys... Yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato. No, to peel a banana. No, oh, a banana. How many ways yeah. are there to peel a banana? I only know one. I've seen people do it from you oh, do it from where it hangs the from the tree. That's the way I do it. But I've seen people do it from the bottom, which yeah. just seems like it's not an easy sounds, way to. It sounds like a mess. Yeah, like a mess. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, the whole line producer thing is just really interesting because I, I kind of feel like a lot of times you just get that title when um, they don't want to, like you know, give you a producer credit for whatever reason you know and that's happened to me a bunch um and happened on this movie that i worked on years ago and they they but their whole argument was like well well it's it's an indian production and in india like if you don't put any money into the movie then you can't be a producer and you know that's that's also interesting of like the differentiations between like the cultural and the regional like i was just watching a johnny toe film um at the moma and it was uh i forget it was like breaking news and Johnny Toe is a Hong Kong director who made a lot of like crime, like thrillers and suspense movies um, back in the eighties and nineties. And I was looking at the credits and you know, when you watch a foreign film, the credits are so interesting to me because they're like, there's like pretty different from what you would see in an American film. And yeah, I was just like kind of like taking mental notes of like all the different producer titles there were. And they were just like so specific. And I was like, oh, that must be nice to like 
to be able to not just use the title universally, but like to have these really specific roles to make it really clear for like what right. people are responsible for. Right. So the know? lesson is if somebody says they produce something, ask them exactly, right. exactly what they what did. do you mean? Are yeah. you a, a project manager, a field producer, a creative producer, <laughs> associate yeah. producer, story producer, yeah. like the list goes on, right? Like I think there's yeah. really a need to define what a producer is and what they specifically do because I we're produce using- for a living. I still don't know what a producer does. <laughs> Right? It's like a, that's why we have our existential crisis because we don't even know what we're doing. I was like, for years and years and years in producing, I'd be like, what is my contribution to this project? I don't even know what I'm adding to it. (laughs) And then I was like, you know what? When I become a director, I am so going to know like what my contribution is. It's going to be right there on the screen. Right. And then I just did this Tostitos project and I look at it and go, what's my contribution <laughs> the performances. as a director? I don't understand. Performances. Like all these other people did these, <laughs> this, did these things. Those are actors though. They're controlling right. their own performance. Like what am I doing? I don't understand. It's like such a weird thing. Like everyone contributes in their own small little way. And I've said it before that everyone on a set, no matter how small your role is, contributes to the finished product in some small way like without that person there it would be different and i think that it's it's a weird it is a weird space like you don't really understand i at least for me i don't really understand a lot of times my contribution to things right um yeah. Well, I also think that sometimes it's like, you know, the, the credit you're given is very different than what you actually did, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But like, I feel like for me on, on other projects I've worked on, it's just like, I know what my role was and I know what I did, whether or not um, I get that credit, you know? And usually that's that's okay, you know? But it, it would be nice if you always got the credit that you deserved for the work that you did, you know? Um, no, I, I just, but, I, I think yeah, that's I ideal. I, I agree that it doesn't happen every time, but I think, you know, you kind of also have to be vocal about your contributions because not everybody is, is going to recognize or acknowledge, you know, all the things that you take on. So you kind of, you know, you got to speak for your, you got to speak up for yourself and you have to stand up for, um, you know, yourself and what you believe in and, and kind of make those acknowledgements. Are you not getting the credit you deserve because you get hired as one well, thing? Well, but you but can then still get, way, you you get your, your credit changed, that? you know. But I think sometimes it just changes from project to project. I mean, like on that Bollywood movie or the Indian movie I worked mm-hmm. on, they were, um, you know, yeah, they were just like, I, I was like, yeah, I, I deserve a producer credit. And like some of the other crew was like, yeah, he deserves a producer credit. But they just like wouldn't. They were just like, no. <laughs> I got hired. But did as you get hired director. as a line producer? And then they ended up giving me assistant director and mm. line producer. <laughs> yeah. Oh. See, I oh, feel this like mo- I feel okay. That's, that's funny. That is funny because I feel like the AD role is you know in even at Pandora like as a as a production manager and producer I would be the one who is keeping us on schedule right for all of our shoots and. And like, I feel like when you don't have an AD, a producer is also taking on that responsibility, um, especially for, for video, like in the video environment. So uh, that's like, that's also really fuzzy. Like the differences between an AD and right. a production well, manager. Well, if there is no AD, then yeah, it, it's just, I feel like you everything know? just falls, uh, you know, to the producer. So if there's, there's no PA. <laughs> Right. I know it's like we're like the garbage disposal. Just yeah, like throw it if in, there's not a production assistant the to do the sink. job, then the producer has to do it. If there's not like you know 
whatever like uh yeah whatever it is like you just i think you just have to step in you make it happen because like if you didn't have the resources to hire that person then you have to be responsible (laughs) yeah and i think it takes a certain type of personality to want this job it's like do you like to take ownership do you like to have responsibilities where you are you know constantly in communication with people um it's there's something really rewarding about it too of like knowing that you know, you're there to make sure that everything goes well. And that's a huge, that's a huge amount of pressure, you know, to have on you. But I think for the right uh, type of personality, it can feel really satisfied, you know, you can feel uh, the satisfaction of being that person that kind of holds it together. And is that like common thread for the project? Yeah, I mean, I also I just feel like as a producer, it's like, being that support person just to make sure that everything's happening and that nothing slips through the, through the cracks and that all the logistics are taken care of and that like your creatives have what they need to, to do their job and to tell their story and to get the content that they're after. I feel like that's like a big part of uh, the producer uh, job. And I mean, if you can have some creative input, you know, if you're in that kind of position as a producer, that's fantastic. But like, that's really that's not my goal as a producer. My goal isn't to like, you know, put my influence into the, the creative. It's, it's to just support, um, you know, the team and make sure that everything is happening smoothly. So we can all like, you know, like everyone can just focus and do their jobs well. And that like, you know, no one has to worry about like, Oh yeah. Are there bathrooms? Oh, is there water available? Yeah. You know, like the, yeah. the, the basic things that need to happen, you know? Yeah. I, f- I feel like it's a role that amplifies, strengths that people have like it you you are there to amplify the strengths and allow people to utilize their strengths like they're brought on for a reason so you are you know i think a producer is definitely an integral part of a production like if you don't have a producer like where's where's the backbone of the production you know like who is holding it together um, I feel like it's, but it's, you know, it takes a village. Like it's not just one role that, you know, makes this thing happen. You, you know, it's, it's an entire team that has to collaborate and work together to make things happen. Mm-hmm. So, Someone once described to me uh, that a producer is the person who puts, gets all the pieces and makes all the pieces the best they can be. So that way the people that are using them can do their job the best that they can. But yeah, like in my opinion, what makes a good producer is somebody who wants it to be the best it can be and that they're going to fight for it to be the best it can be. And even if they don't, if, if Ulrich, I know you don't put your own stamp on it, but you definitely like listen to like when you produce for me, you listen to what I want and you make sure that I'm always staying on track and like you're always fighting to make sure that I do it the best that I possibly can. So like if I'm starting to like give up on something you'd be like no 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 let's fight for it let's you know let's yeah. let's make sure we get that lens that you really need because yeah. it's going to make it look awesome right right yeah and there's you know there's there's a lot of weighing of priorities um you're constantly you know you're constantly having conversations with different departments or different creatives who have a different set of priorities and having to weigh you know, what are the priorities that are going to make this project excel? You know, what, what are those important pieces? What, what should go before the other thing? So it's like, there's a lot of um, troubleshooting and creative problem solving that has to happen with a producer. And, 
you know, you, you kind of learn that on the job. You learn that through experience. You learn that by having to confront those challenges as they come. So it's, it's just, I don't know, that's kind of what makes the job so interesting to me is that no day is the same as the day before or the next day, because <laughs> you don't know what you're going to be coming across um, in terms of the, the problem solving and the troubleshooting. So yeah, that's what makes it, makes it fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's kind of how I've like what I've liked about video production, no matter what the, the job I'm doing, like if I'm shooting, editing, producing, whatever, it's like, yeah, it's always something new, always something fun, always something different, you know, which uh, makes it like a really fun, fun to like go and do your job or whatever it is, you know. Um, so I guess, is there any like last things that you guys want to talk about before we let Winnie go? Like we've been over, it's over an hour now. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered? Uh, I think we did a, an excellent job. That was a fun conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I love conversations like this. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, is there anything, yeah, but any last words about producing, Winnie, that you want to say? I have a couple more questions, but I just, we don't have time to get into it. Like it would, it would go for out, like another hour, but. Uh... Yeah, I guess my last <laughs> question for you both would be, can you describe did, can you describe a time when you've worked with a producer and you were like blown away by their work? And can you describe why that was? Like what about them blew you away? <laughs> blown away. Yeah. Man, that's like. I know, I know it's pretty high. Uh, high. Uh, I've definitely been like super, super impressed with producers that never say no. They're just anything you throw at them. They're like. But can that be? Let me figure can that, can that out. be kind of not a good thing sometimes, though? Because then you're just like a yes man or a yes woman. It's, it's not like... a yes. It's like <laughs> let me go figure it out, or it's like yeah, they're yeah. just like ready for any challenge. You're right. like you throw them yes. something, and they're just like, let me go. I'm going to call this person. We do this. Okay, I'll be right. I'll get back to you. Uh, it's yeah, like I... they're they're always ready just to jump and go figure it out. Yep. I'm a terrible producer because as soon as somebody <laughs> asks me to do work, I'm like, oh, really? Do, uh, I could I could look into that, but I can pretty much tell you right now it's probably going to be a no and <laughs> you're not going to like it and like I get all negative. So I, think, I like the people that are just like right away, just like they're excited to go problem solve and they're, yeah, they want to go and figure I, it I, out for you. I think one way to describe that is due diligence. Like I will do my due diligence to ask the question to find out for you to see if it's available to see how quickly we can get that you know like i i think that that is a really i think that is a really strong trait to have is like to to take a problem or take a question or take an issue and just do your due diligence to make sure that you've crossed off all of the options and that you've you know you did your best to to find out if you could make that thing happen um yeah, I would have to agree with that. Ulrich, you're being very quiet. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was looking something up really quick uh, that I want to talk about. But anyway, so I I know my my moment where I was blown away by producers. Um, there's this. Uh, I worked on a movie a couple of years ago called Remember Me. Um, it's uh, directed by Steve. Yes, yeah, so Steve Goldblum is the director. It was his first movie, and he starred in it as well. But uh, mm -hmm. the producers of that movie um, are Heather and Nanu um, of Sparklight, and they are like my favorite producers. Like, I just think these two women are incredible. And um, why are they incredible? I, I I don't know. It's just like... What about them? They also made... Yeah. So East Side Sushi was their first movie. So that was... Yeah, I'm sure people have heard of that movie. It's it got... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I love I love that movie. Anthony is awesome. It did really well. And, uh, you know, Remember Me was the one I worked on. That's their second. And that one's really good, too. I actually haven't seen it all the way through. I just saw the trailer, I think, because I missed the screening. But it was a really fun experience to work on it. Um, and I can't wait to see it whenever it comes out. But anyways, the point is, the way that they interact with their team and the, and the way that they manage their set and the way that they work with their director it's just like everything about the way that they approach filmmaking is just wonderful like they're just the warmest sweetest people in the world first off like so that's the number one and they're really serious about their work and uh they just do such a fantastic job of like listening to the director and making sure that you know he's doing what he needs to do but also like doing what timothy was saying like keeping them on him on track you know, and knowing the story in and out and knowing the style and the tone and everything that um, Steve wanted to do with the movie. And then just making sure that he was able to stay focused on that while he's like, you know, uh, directing and acting and, you know, doing everything on set. And like, you know, if like, because the, the, the hardest thing, right, is like if, if the, there's a joke or an ad lib line that is going in a different direction and it's like sort of changing the story a little bit. I would, because I was script supervisor, I was like right there next to the monitor the whole time. I was able to see them like steer the movie back into focus, back into like, this is the, the, the point of the scene. This is what we need to get across. And they didn't, they weren't like overshadowing the director or anything. They weren't like, it was just beautiful. And so, Using a gentle guiding hand. Yeah, and, and it was just, I was so impressed with the way that they worked. And yeah. then, you know, the other thing that they do really well is is just all the steps of, of a movie. Like, they don't just get the movie made. They, like, make sure that it gets into gets submitted to all the film festivals. They do all the press release stuff. They they, they really fight for their movies, and they and they live with their movies, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like they, they just did such a great job of getting, you know, both yeah. Remember Me and Isai Sushi into, like, just, like, great film festivals. I mean, Isai Sushi was playing at Grand Lake for months and months and months, and, like, you know, just being able to, to be the, the producers to make that happen for their film, like, I just think that's really impressive. So... I don't know. Well, I think what we can all say, and this is all adding up to, you can tell when somebody's doing a job just for the right. money. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that a good producer and producers that will always blow you, you away are the ones that are invested, not just in the job that they're doing, but in the outcome of the final piece. Right. And where it goes and how it lives. I think the other thing that that I would say is like, it's just like fully taking ownership of the project, you know? And really like making it their baby as well as the director's baby, you know? And I think that's like kind of a simple way of like, you know, saying what I've been saying for the last three minutes. It's like they just really take ownership of their projects and they really believe in them and they fight for them. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I just after working on that movie. I was just like, if I could ever get them to produce my movie, I'd be so lucky. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, they're not really interested into the the kind of sci-fi stuff I'm I'm doing. But you know, maybe one day. Yeah, and they can they can be consultants. Yeah, you know, I think that like directors should surround themselves with with good producer friends because you know you it's such a unique dynamic and a unique relationship, um, working like professional and personal relationship. So. Um, to have good people around you that you can bounce ideas off of and to have them, you know, read your script or look at your budget, look at your timeline, look at, look at the team that you're, you know, building. It's to have that feedback is, is pretty crucial. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, normally I get mad at Ulrich for the one last question. And now Winnie, I can be like, thanks for that one last question. Now it's like, it's going to be like an hour and a half long episode. Right. Well, I have Let's to wrap it up. It, so. Is that cool? Oh yeah. yeah. We're going to wrap it up. Okay, great. Yeah. So Winnie, where, where can people find your work? Um, people can find my work on my Vimeo page. Um, for some of my Pandora work, they can find it on certain Pandora stations, but um, I'm also on Instagram you know, if you go to my Facebook, you'll see my Vimeo link. Um, it's Winnie Wong. So pretty easy to find. Okay. Um, and we'll put and it up on our show notes so people can go yeah. to makingmoviesishard.com and they'll be able to find links and they just click on it and be right there. Yep. I'll send and then, it over. What, what are you working on next? Is there anything you want to plug? Any, any fundraising campaigns or things that you just want people to go check out right now? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm the next thing I'm working on is going to be a shoot with Gavin Newsom for for a kind of an impact campaign. Mm-hmm, um, cool. We'll be shooting that on Monday, and then I'm kind of just lining up some projects in terms of like reading scripts and seeing what is out there that needs, you know, a strong producer and a story that I feel aligned with and excited about telling so hint, hint the script i sent you hint yes i actually i read it and i have some notes great I, I and can't wait. yeah super fun to read awesome for sure cool. so getting back to people for sure about about their work and um just more collaborations really yeah well good luck out there in the freelance world it sounds exciting and i'm, I'm sure you're gonna do great things yeah Thank and, and thanks so that. much for talking with us winnie and we'll definitely have you back in a year and like we can do a whole recap of like <laughs> yeah where, where where how did the freelance thing go are you back at a yeah, full-time how, job somewhere did you else survive yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah yep. thank you for coming on just three weeks into it i think a lot totally. of people would have been like ah let, give me like six months you know I don't want, <laughs> you feel it out i want to get a little bit more on my feet i know no, but this like is this. really fun. This is this really is fun. This is cool. Yeah. Um, I want to plug a few things. The The first is Ulrich and I talked about a commercial project that we did together a few weeks back that is now online. It was for Tostitos. They manufactured uh, NFL bags for specific teams. They're called Lucky Bags. So you can go to uh, tostitos.com slash lucky bags to see everything that we did. There's 19 different individual spots and then one hero spot. So in total, we did 20 different spots in three days. It's pretty amazing. It's a lot of work. I, I did... I doubt anyone's going to watch them all, but yeah. if you watch just the hero video, it'll give you a good sense for what we did. Congratulations. And it was so much me. fun. I want to do it again. So there's that. And then huge announcement. Uh, the Spirit Machine is going online. It's going to be on the CG Bros channel on YouTube. Um, so finally, it's going to be out in the world for free for people to see. By the time this episode goes live, it'll already be up. So go find it. Go watch it. Yeah, um, I'll just inv- I'll invite the negative criticism. Go ahead, tell it's me what you think about negative, it. It's not going to be negative, man. I uh, mean, come on, it's going to be negative. That's okay. That's fine. And yeah, and I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with it once it's out in the world. I'm so embarrassed that it's no. going out. I, I would love to just no. bury this film. You should be proud. I, man. I can't be proud. You, got, it's, you know. It's a yeah, it's a really beautiful movie. It's got some amazing effects. Like the ending, I love the ending. It's super well done. The first um, and two like you always, and the last three minutes are really good. You can skip the middle part. 
Watch the whole thing, guys. Come on. Let's, let's so, do yeah. it. So that, that's Be exciting serious. because we've been talking about that movie since the beginning of the podcast. Right? So it's like finally out there. And I know. You were working on it like almost the whole time we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> and now it's and finally over. Yeah. It's been five years since I've raised the money to go shoot that thing. So it's it was a long haul. I'm glad that it's done. And I can I think I've finally watched watched it for the last time just QCing that vi- final video to send to the CG bros hopefully I never have to see it again you probably will someone's gonna request it they're gonna want it on this <laughs> or that you're gonna have to right. do it all over again don't worry it's, it still happens to me with yeah. strange thing every once in a while I mean it hasn't yeah. been a while but anyways but I, I just also wanted to say the Tostitos thing like yeah that was really fun to work on and, and thanks you thank you Timothy for bringing me onto that thing because it was one of the most fun projects I've ever done and I'm really proud of it and I can't wait for people to see them so yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll get to do another one soon. Yeah, I hope so. Um, all right, cool. Cool. Thanks, everyone, <laughs> for listening. You can check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com. You'll find links to all the things we talked about, including links to Winnie's pages and social media and Tostitos and the Spirit Machine. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. You can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. And if you like the show, um, leave a review on iTunes. We we love them. They're, they're, it's actually become like a little bit of a comment on the show, like people telling us what we can do better. Uh, and probably next week we'll read one that was a little disheartening. But I, th- right. I also I love that somebody <laughs> finally like wrote an honest opinion on there that wasn't a five star review. So well, I think they're all honest opinions. That, they, yeah, I, I mean, an honest are, opinion but, that you know. wasn't a five star review. There's been a lot right. of five star opinions, but not a lot of like two or three or, or one or star one. opinions. <laughs> right. So it's good to hear from somebody that didn't just love the show. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that I want people to hate on the show, but I mean, I want them to be honest. So if you really do, do don't like it, like you, you should tell us. Like you know, that's the only way we're gonna get better is if we get those that that criticism. So yeah. you know. Anyways. Um. So that's that's it. Thanks, thanks, Winnie, for coming on the show again. Thank you. And thank you, Ulrich. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.